Welcome to QAV. This is episode 6112. We're recording this on the 21st of March, 2023. This is our last recording before Tony disappears for uh, a month and a bit. So um, if you don't have any questions in by today, don't bother. <laughs> for a couple of weeks. No, that's not true. We'll, we'll try and get some recordings in while I'm overseas. We will try. We just had a great chat with uh, Tim Lincoln. Uh, finally, we managed to get Tim on. Uh, that'll probably come out as next week's show, I think. Well, we'll both be traveling. You'll be going overseas. I'll be coming back from Sydney. So people will enjoy that. He was lovely, uh, really lovely uh, to chat finally to Tim. Seems like a nice bloke. Yep, I agree. It was great. Well, I want to start off today's show by uh, wishing a big QAV congratulations to uh, Rupert Murdoch on his <laughs> upcoming nuptials. Uh, he's not divorced from Jerry Lee Lewis yet, but um, he's getting married again after that divorce goes through to uh, his fifth wife, who I'm sure is a lovely lady who's only in it for love and devotion and all sorts of good moral values. It's possible that she has a thing for 30, like men who are 30 years older than her, but uh, yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> 92-year-old immortal billionaires. <laughs> yeah, 92-year-old immortal billionaires. <laughs> he said, I read a quote from him in the fin today saying, this will be his last one, at least it better be. <laughs> Something. 92. Wow. Well, listen, we've got portfolio updates to get into. Been a lot of selling from me uh, in the last week, not a lot to buy. We'll get into commodity updates. But before we get into all that, TK, I've been working on a thing over the last couple of days I haven't shared with you yet. Kind of the maxims of QAV, not, you know, the fudge and the Josephine and those sorts of things we call the maxims, but going through, you know, I've had a, a few of our club members call me and go, you know, what are we going to do? The market this and the market that. And I keep saying this sort of little bon mots of wisdom that I've picked up from you over the years. And I'm trying to like, like, like basically get the essence of the philosophy of QAV down to a handful of bullet points. So let me run through these with you and see what you think. Number one, the market always goes up over the long term. Based on history, if history is true, if history repeats itself anyway, for as long as there have been markets, they've always gone up over the long term. We expect that to be true, barring complete collapses of the global economy. Yeah, well, that's called positive expectancy. So you're investing in an area that you think or you know generally returns a positive return. It has to be over the long term, I guess, but it's, you know, that's the reverse of going to a casino, which has negative expectancy. You can play roulette. You can see it right there on the table in front of you. There's one less slot that you can win money on than you need to break even. So it's negative expectancy. So that's really, you're right. That's the essence of investing. You cannot invest where there's negative expectancy. You've got to invest where there's positive expectancy. Right. So, number one, the market always goes up over the long term. Number two, the market goes in cycles, positive to negative, and then back to positive, crisis to boom, and back again. That's uh, what's it called? Not uh, is it Fibonacci? No, it's Mandelbrot. It's in markets are Mandelbrot. You can look at it between the hours of ten and eleven, and it will do the same thing. You can look at it between the hours of ten and four, it will do the same thing. You can look at it the hours, you know, over the month of March, it'll do the same thing over the year, over a hundred years. It goes up and down in cycles, but directionally, it goes up. And it has to. Going, going back to point one, if the stock market isn't going up, 
the economy is going backwards. Governments are in disarray. We have many more problems to worry about than the stock market if it, you know, if it's not going up. And, and that's why everyone pulls all the stops out if they're a regulator or a government to ensure the stock market goes up. Number three, in between those cycles, it's always erratic, good weeks and bad weeks. And testing. Testing? And testing. It's always testing you. Oh, testing you. Yeah, right. Number four, there's no crystal ball to tell you when the cycle changes from positive to negative. The market never rings the bell when it's at the top or the bottom. Number five, stay fully invested even during the negative cycles because you never know when it has turned around until you have hindsight. Yeah, I mean, there's times we'll go to cash or at least partly to cash, but yeah, generally stay invested. As we were talking about with Tim Lincoln, the the market doesn't ring a bell at the bottom, but you can sense capitulation when people start selling out. Just like you're getting with questions now, what are we going to do? This is exactly the time when people change style, change their investment philosophy, or just sell out. And when that happens, it's almost like the decks are cleared and the market takes off again. I've had a couple of people, not members, I think, but people that are light members or whatever, people saying, oh, I'm just going to go to EDFs. I'm like, that's fine. Just go to EDFs if you can't stomach it. Like, that's that's great. I mean, you, you know, this kind of investing isn't for everybody. Yeah, you got to have the stomach to just wait it out. Yeah, and going to ETFs is better than going to cash or putting it somewhere else into you know, another investment class, yeah. Six, only buy stocks when you can buy them at a significant discount to their intrinsic value. Mm-hmm. Why overpay? There's 2,000 stocks on the stock market. Why would you overpay for one? Seven, over the long term, the stock price of companies that consistently perform well, i.e. generate lots of free cash, should do better than the stock price of companies that don't perform well. Yeah, well, you can see that in your local coffee shop, can't you? Two coffee shops, one next to each other. The one that's brightly lit, clean, you know, happy, smiling staff is going to do better than the one that's hasn't had a sweep. The windows are boarded up and <laughs> the guy's smoking behind the counter as he's talking to his SP bookie while he's trying to make you coffee. It's, it's just obvious that one does better than the other. Like I just said to Tim about Stock Doctor, which I think they do a really good job of, have a good product and give great customer service. And I, I think they do both of those. And I think any business that does both of those tends to outperform businesses that don't do those over the long term. And eight, this is where I finished right now, think long term, but preserve capital by setting stop losses, then reinvesting those funds as soon as you can. Correct. Anything I've missed out? Well, as I, as I said to Tim in that last interview, I think you have to be aware that when you start down this path of investing for yourself, you're doing it for the rest of your life. Don't think this is a train that's going to stop it in a station so you can get off and do something else. Well, you can, but to make it work, you've got to stick to it for the rest of your life. Yeah. I'm thinking about putting these up on the website or something because I think I'm just trying to encapsulate the thinking that you've imparted to me about investing over the last four years, the philosophy. I guess, of how you invest and and just trying to capture that. Because it, as Tim said, it has been a difficult two and a half years for investors and it may continue to be difficult for some time. But I just keep reminding myself, it always goes up over the long term. So 
we just keep doing what we're doing and I don't really care if the portfolio goes up a little bit, down a little bit, up again, down, I have to sell. I don't don't care. As I said to you off air before, kind of bored by all the (laughs) doom and gloom in the news in the marketplace right now over bank collapsing and being bailed out and this and that. I'm like, ah, you know what? I really don't care. Like, the regulators will do what the regulators do. Governments will do what the governments do. The market will go up or it'll go down. But eventually, it'll go up and, you know, our portfolios will do well when the market stabilizes and goes up when the conditions are right. In the meantime, we're just minimizing the damage by letting stuff go if it drops too far and uh, playing a good, safe game of chess. Well, yeah, and being taking the emotion out of it. That's the important thing. And Last couple of weeks have been really tough for me too. I've had this kind of death spiral of rule one sales and three point <laughs> trend sales and commodity sales, uh, and then I find myself in gold miners, gold stocks. Right, so it's all gold. Yeah, and then I'm sure, you know, in a year's time or however long it's going to be, the banks are going to be super cheap, and we're going to be in the bank stocks. It's like I don't have to predict it, think about it. All I have to do is do it. I was laughing about playing a safe game of chess because I was having breakfast with the boys on Sunday morning and um, Taylor and Hunter were having a game and Taylor is generally the best player out of the three of us by a long shot, but he struggles playing his twin brother for some reason. Is like, this is like psychological issue. Anyway, halfway through the game, Hunter was crushing him. Like he played this sequence of moves that was tactically brilliant and absolutely had Taylor on the ropes. And it was really, really impressive stuff. And I said to Hunter, whatever you do, don't get cocky right now. Because if there's some way, he's like the doctor. There's one person you never want to put in a corner. It's Taylor with a game of chess. And Hunter was like, no, no, absolutely not. No, it's what he called. He said, park the bus. He said, when we played soccer, we had this thing. If you get a goal up, you just park the bus in defensive positions. You don't let anything through. Don't take any risks. And I said, right. Yeah, it's good. And then Taylor crushed him at the end. Of the game. <laughs> oh, Taylor wow. beat him and absolutely came back from having a serious deficit and crushed him. It was insane. They both played so well in this game. It was super impressive. But yeah, anyway, so playing a defensive game, that's how I think of QAV right now. We're just playing defensively. The markets are all over the place. I'm just like, okay, well, we sell stuff when it breaches the stop loss and buy something else and just keep rotating the rotating the dice and uh, just waiting for things to turn around. And they will. Don't know when, but they will. And when they turn around, we'll do well. And that's just how it, <laughs> how it goes. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people are drawing parallels between now and the GFC, and I don't think that's valid because I think it's completely different. There are some things to compare, I guess, and but to contrast as well, banking being particularly one of them. But what does feel like the GFC is is just how the portfolio is going down. And, you know, we're having to pay attention to it a lot more than what we'd like or what we'd normally do. But I'm glad I went through the GFC because I knew that, the portf- you know, that gave me the experience to know that portfolios can go down a lot. But, you know, eventually they'll come back. And then when they do come back, they come back like a freight train. And if you're not there when they come back, you sort of go back to sort of muddling through. You missed out on the big game. So it's important to be there. Well, our portfolio actually is doing quite well, the dummy portfolio I'm talking about. So I was doing my weekly report this morning and um, from inception, 
Uh, we're now up 16.81% per annum versus the STW up 6.3% per annum. So we're still doing two and a half times better than the STW since inception. And for new listeners, that's since the 2nd of September 2019. For the financial year, you know, we've been underperforming, but we're underperforming by a lot less right now than we have been. The STW is up 10.95% for the financial year. We're now up 7.38%. So um, a couple of months ago, it was doing twice as well as we were for the financial year. Now we've we've cut into that quite a lot. And if I look at uh, like the last seven days is actually kind of interesting. You know, there's been a lot of red, but then you've got LAU is up 15.5% in the last seven days. Uh, RSG up 7.5% in the last seven days. A lot of the other stocks have just been sort of neutral. But when I look at this quarter, quarter that we're still in, right, from the 1st of January through to the end of March, our portfolio is up 1.81% versus the STW, which is up 0.31%. So sort of been turning around our performance vis-a-vis the STW this quarter, like it wasn't that way a month ago. A month ago, it was well ahead of us for the quarter. But just in the last few weeks, since the SVB collapse and all that kind of stuff has been going on, we've actually recovered quite a lot. Yeah, and it's kind of, in some ways, it's kind of surprising to hear the SDWs up 10% odd for this financial year, given everything that's happened this financial year. So the banks have had a good run, I guess, with raising rising interest rates, which has supported the SDW. But yeah, I fully expected that not to last. Yeah. So it's interesting how things uh, turn around. Anyway, that's my portfolio updates. But yeah, as I said earlier, I've been a lot of selling, very little to buy. I think I bought some more OML today for the dummy portfolio. Oh, shoot. I'm going to talk about that today. That's the pulled pork. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I saw that. I was like, oh, God. But anyway, yeah, it's been very slim pickings out there. Nearly everything's either having a down day or there's a few things that are good in the buy list, but I already own, you know, two uh, parcels of everything because they've been the only things I've been able to buy for the last few weeks. So um, yeah. Commodity updates this week. There was a, a few changes. Let me just bring up the buy list to refresh my memory. Thermal coal officially became a sell in the last week, which caused a little bit of havoc with some of my stocks. Wheat uh, became a buy again. Didn't really save GNC though in my portfolio. And uh, Josephine for lithium this week. I know that we've got one lithium stock. I think that we've been talking about. Everything else. Iron ore is still a buy. Gold is still a buy. Looks like uh, coking coal is a Josephine. I'm not sure where that. Oh no, it's a buy still. It's just popped its head up. No, you know. I got that wrong. I, when I was talking with you, when I sent you an email, it was um, I made the mistake of looking at the weekly graph, not the monthly graph. Yeah, it's just a buy. It's broken through its 2BL. But uh, crude oil is a sell. Copper and platinum are Josephines. Aluminiums are sell. Zinc, tin, Josephines. Magnesiums are sell. Manganese is a Josephine. Steel is a buy. But uh, LNGs are Josephine. Nickels are sell. Iron and steel scraps are buy. And then titanium dioxide, our newest entrant, is still a buy, but very, very choppy on the commodity markets at the moment. 
And just following up from the last show we did, I sold myself 32, I think you did from our portfolios. Uh, you asked the question because some of the, I think aluminium was half of South 32. It was a sell. When I dug into it, I thought, yeah, the majority of the things it had were either Josephine's or sells. So I think we should sell it. Also following on from last week, Mark Dugmore, our uh, one of our mining guys, rallied to the call talking about mineral sands. He said the prices for the heavy mineral sands products, Rutile, go away, Let me learn. Yeah, sorry, Siri just started talking to me. Rutile, <laughs> Ilmenite, the minerals as sourced for titanium metal. Think paint on the outside of your house, in the plane you next fly on, or in TK's golf clubs. Zircon, think tiles, are difficult to find on a regular monthly basis. Aluka Resources, uh, ILU on the ASX, will sometimes have the benchmark prices in their ASX releases, but you can never get an up-to-date price graph. I tried to graph it some time back, but gave up because of the time lag. And he's uh, given us a couple of charts to have a look at. But uh, thanks for that, Mark. It's always good to have people that are in the know help us out with that stuff. But it looks like it's just going to be difficult to get real-time charts for mineral sands. But you did find one for titanium dioxide, yeah? Yes, that's the only one that I really have that's of any use. Okay, which is good. That's some mineral sand. It's something. So what have you got uh, on your list of things to talk about today, TK? Yeah, just a couple of things. Uh, I was putting, I did a download to do my decide what to do, pulled pork on, and the stock I was going to do uh, is called BRB and uh, forgotten what that stands for. Anyway, it was under takeover today and the company that was taking it over is RMS, Remilius Resources. So uh, we've got one stock on the buy list taking over another stock on the buy list today and I decided not to do BRB because it's up some 30%, big jump yesterday. That's uh, Breaker Resources NL is BRB, had a big jump yesterday when Remilius decided to lob an offer. So. Um, Good luck to anybody who owns that. I I don't. I decided not to do a pulled pork just to preserve that uh, that jump in the price of PRB. But yeah, it's been on the buy list. So good luck to anyone who owns it. So news from the buy list. I did want to talk about banking. I I do agree with you a hundred percent that it's noise, but um, there's a lot going on, and it is interesting to just lift a little little bit. But I wanted to talk about two things. One was the fact that in the takeover of Credit Suisse by UBS, the Swiss regulators have written down the bank hybrids to zero. And that was a thing which which caught my eye out of all of this whole ructions in the in the banking world this week. And why does that interest me? Because I mean, do you know what a bank hybrid is, Cam? No, I'm hoping you're going to explain all of that yeah, to okay. me. Is it a car is it a bank that runs on electricity as well as petrol? <laughs> No? Well, you know, sometimes, well, I think, I think Credit Suisse was running on hot air, but anyway, it's just, um, <laughs> it's another form of uh, bond. Well, it's not a bond. It's a type of bond. It's, that's why it's called a hybrid. It's got some characteristics of being a bond and some con- characteristics of being equity, in other words, a share. And so banks will often issue these, which is, has characteristics of being a bond. They pay a yield and then return the capital at the end, or they have the right, or sometimes you have the right, to convert the outstanding amount into shares, into equity. 
So they've been around for a long time. A lot of um, retail investors in Australia in particular will invest in bank hybrids. I, I never have. I don't know much, much about them. To me, it's as much about the credit risk as well as the price of the bond. So I think it's a fairly specialised area. But like a lot of things in, in markets, people have gotten used to them. Retail investors buy them and they tend to price them against other bank offerings. So, And they always have strange names like ComBank issues pearls. Other banks issue you know, other hybrids with different names and they have slightly different characteristics and slightly different prices. But people will generally say, oh, well, the new issue of CBA hybrids is pays better than the latest issue of another bank's shares, for example. I tend to think they may have gotten away from the fundamentals of investing in this area, which is to work out whether you're being paid for the risk of being owed the money by the bank. Anyway, it's a big part of our market. Most investors, most people, most general of the general public haven't heard of it, but it's there. And it's been treated as if you know, you're investing in a government bond or at least in a big corporate bond. So your money return is assured. But as the people in Switzerland just found out who invested in the Credit Credit Suisse hybrids, the regulator wrote those $17 billion worth of hybrids down to zero when it got UBS and Credit Suisse in the room and knocked their heads together and said, right, UBS, buy Credit Suisse. Credit Suisse went, no, we're not going to honor these hybrids. Regulator said, oh yeah, read the fine print. We have the ability to write them down to zero. And they did. So I guess where I'm coming from is in the GFS, in the GFC, sorry, no one before the GFC, no one knew what a collateralized debt obligation was, a CDO and a synthetic CDO, et cetera, et cetera. But they sure did during the during the GFC. And, you know, this is kind of one of the hallmarks of these things. We we suddenly find out that there are all these products circulating under the hood of the banking system, which we never hear about. And suddenly one's just collapsed. And I read in the Fin Review today that the hybrids in Australia had been marked down three to five percent because of that. So I'm not saying we're any in anything like the GFC, but again, this is an example of the products that are there in the banking system, which can become fragile under stress. That leads me to point number two, which is that banking is just really all about trust. And I had a sat down with Jenny the other night and had a quick chat about this because of her experience in banking. And I, I posed the question today to her and I said, um, if everyone in the world at once wanted to withdraw their deposits, how much do they get? And she said, well, they get the government guarantee. And that's it because... The way banking works is it takes deposits and it, it rolls them up and then it lends them out in home loans or in other ways, business loans, credit card portfolios, whatever, or it uses them as security to go and do other things and, and issue bonds and things like that. So according to Jenny, if the way that the regulators stress test the banks, and I have to you know, sort of parenthesize this commentary by saying the Australian banks are probably the best regulated in the world. Australian banks and Canadian banks were the only banks that came through the GFC pretty much untouched, and they're very well regulated. However, and the, and the regulator in Australia, APRA, the Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority, is very, very good at keeping the banks up to scratch in terms of their, their risk profiles, because they, they know that the banks are important to the economy, and if the banks aren't robust, then the whole economy is going to have problems. So it's very well regulated in Australia. However, the APRA requires the banks to go through stress testing every now and then and on, this, on a periodical basis. And one of the things it models is a bank run. They also model other things like 
you know, dramatic rise in interest rates, dramatic fall in interest rates, uh, what happens in a recession, all that kind of stuff. And they try and make sure that the, the banks have enough capital to see them through any sort of stress on the economy like this. But when I asked Jenny about um, the bank run stress test, she said, yeah, they model the liquidity of a bank on a on a 30-day basis. So if if everyone wants to get their money out of the bank in the next month, how can are they able to do that? That works on 30 days, but you know, the SVB run happened in two hours. And some of the runs on Credit Suisse have happened because of the digital way that banking works now very quickly as well. So stress testing for 30 days isn't going to cut it in this digital world. Now, I'm not trying to make people worry about the banks, but it is built on trust, right? If we all wanted to get our money out tomorrow, we get the government guarantee. If we all want to get our money out within 30 days, we might get another 10 to 15 cents in the dollar, which is everything the bank can liquidate within 30 days, which is generally government bonds. There are some other substitutes there. And then it goes into other levels of risky assets and illiquid assets like hybrids and um, eventually mortgages. So in the worst case scenario, if the bank had to pay out all its deposits, it may have to come and take away our house, you know, sell it, pay the mortgage, get the mortgage back, and or if we can't pay it back, and then pay out the depositors. That's never happened, but that's how it has to work if depositors want to get their money out. So banking is built on trust. And after the Hain Royal Commission? Well, Hain was a <laughs> sort of different thing. It's not about that. It's about yeah, uh, but can you trust the bank? Yeah, sure, I get that. But it wasn't about the stress testing of bank. No, different kind of trust. Different yes. kind of trust. But that's that's always got to be there, and I think in the back of people's minds in these situations is that if everyone wants to get their money out, A, they can't, and B, that's into the banking system. And what is the uh, amount that the Australian government will guarantee? $250,000. And um, people should look it up themselves because I'm not sure whether that's per account or per household or or what. So yeah, I mean, Jenny and I are thinking now about splitting our deposits up over 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 different banks so we can, can make sure we get it back if there's a problem. <laughs> not crypto, you know, crypto, no, not crypto is the cure for all of this, Tony. No? Meant to be. <laughs> gold or gold. I saw somebody posting the other day the crypto price and how it's fallen along with everything else uh, recently and saying, oh, hold on a second, I thought uh, this thing was supposed to be contrary to uh, yeah, not what's correlated. going on in the world. Although to be fair, uh, Bitcoin's had a good run in the last, uh, I don't know, week and a half, but yeah. It actually has had a good run since January. Yeah, okay. I'm going to play a clip if I can work out the technology here from um, a very old movie called It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, it talks about a bank run. And these things have been around since banks, basically. But this is a good summary of what happened. So let me just try and cue this up if I can. Don't look now, but there's something funny going on over there at the bank, George. I've never really seen one, but that's got all the earmarks of being a run. Period. Ah. Just remember that this thing isn't as black as it appeared. I have some news for you, folks. I was just talking to old man Potter, and he's guaranteed cash payments to the bank. The bank's going to reopen next week. But, George, I got my money here. Did he guarantee this place? 
Well, no, Charlie, I didn't even ask him. We don't need Potter over here. And I'll take mine now. No, but you're, you're... You're thinking of this place all wrong, as if I had the money back in a safe. The, the money's not here. Well, your money's in Joe's house. That's right next to yours. And in the Kennedy house, and Mrs. Maitland's house, and, and a hundred others. You're lending them the money to build, and then they're going to pay it back to you as best they can. Now, what are you going to do, foreclose on them? I got $242 in here, and $242 isn't going to break anybody. Okay, Tom. All right. Here you are. You sign this. You get your money in 60 days. For 60 days? Well, now, that's what you agreed to when you bought your shares. Tom, Tom, did you get your money? No. Well, I did. Old man Putter will pay 50 cents on the dollar for every share you've got. 50 cents on the dollar? Yes, cash. Well, what do you say? No, Tom, you have to stick to your original agreement. Now, give us 60 days on this. Okay, thing. Randall. Are you going to Potter's? Better to get half than nothing. Anyway, it's a good summary. Bank runs have been around for a long time, and basically the clip says that don't forget that when you're demanding to take your money out of the bank, you're actually taking it away from the person who's borrowed from the bank to build their house next door to you. That's the interconnectedness of the banking world. Okay, well, that, that was me for commentary. I wanted to, uh, to do a pulled pork on Oo Media, O-M-L. I'll go sell my shares while you uh, get started. <laughs> well, it's interesting because now I found out that you put it in the dummy portfolio. Strictly speaking, we're not supposed to do it because we don't want to front run or push a stock that we've just bought. So um, that's part of our policy. I'm still going to do the pulled pork because I'm not making a recommendation here for anyone to, to buy this stock. So I'm not trying to push up the performance of the dummy portfolio. And on top of that, listeners will know if I do a pull pork, <laughs> yeah. it's not a ringing endorsement of the stock anyway. <laughs> no, they run for the hills when you do a pull pork. <laughs> Everybody knows that. That's why I've got to go sell it now that you're going to do it. Put the kibosh on it. Yeah, so we might get slapped with a policy breach here, but I think, I think we're safe. Uh, and the reason why I picked out Oo Media is because, well, twofold. One, I talk, was going to talk about BRB, but it's just under a takeover offer, so it kind of plays with the numbers that the share prices jump so quickly. And secondly, uh, this is the only stock I could find that was reasonably high on the buy list and wasn't a Josephine or a sell. So, um, you know, it's just the state of the market. So Oo Media, um, for people who don't know it, they probably do, they just haven't realised it, but you will have seen on billboards around the place uh, the three letters O-O-H and an exclamation mark, usually a, a small O, a middle case O, and then a large H, exclamation mark. And Oo Media, the U stands for out of home. So that kind of gives the game away in terms of what it does. It, it's an advertising company that sells space on billboards. It sells space in shopping centres, on trains, rail stations, uh, offices, and in the lifts of offices cafes, unis, airports, and in-flight entertainment, freeways, you know, roads, the traditional billboards on highways. So it's pretty ubiquitous, and it's rather successful. And it's kind of riding the wave that we spoke about when I did a pulled pork on, on Seven Media, but in reverse. So money is, is drifting away from mass marketing, and one of the areas it's going to is out-of-home advertising, all these wonderful new ways that they can put ads in front of you. And increasingly digitally as well. So there is uh, a little bit of targeting that can go on and I guess a new way to catch your eye that uh, wasn't available when I was just putting up uh, paper on, on billboards. So uh, it's becoming increasingly digital and even to the extent of doing these 3D type billboards, which are 
Occasionally you'll see from photos on in Times Square or London or some of the other big cities of the world where the whole corner of a building is taken up with the panel down the front and the panel down the side and they can project a 3D, 3D-like animation so it looks like a wave is breaking on the side of the building or a dinosaur's crawling up the building or whatever. So it's getting quite sophisticated in the way they can deliver these ads. But uh, this market now equates for about 12.5% of the national ad spend. So up from a very small number in years gone by, and it's still increasing. It's probably about it for the, for the company. OOH, you will have seen it. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Just sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, uh, you know, while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. That's it. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. You'll find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129271. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.